and welcome to Robots Lives. Are you? This is Hannah again. Rob's away this weekend, so we're roping in Hannah. Welcome to Robots Rise, everybody. Um, I think this is episode. I don't, I'm not going to bother saying that anymore. There's I'm, no point. I'm going to say 17. How do you? That's exactly what it is, though. Hang on, let me check. Is it 17? Let me check. Let me just open this up. Yep, 17. There you go. You're like a closet fan, really. Fountain of. Knowledge. Fountain of knowledge, yeah. So Rob's away, um, so we've got Hannah in, the, uh, my lovely girlfriend who designed our logo. Yay. Want to talk about that? Um, yeah, it was uh, a logo I did for, obviously <coughs> I am a graphic designer by trade, so I did a nice logo for Robots for Eyes. And there's some stickers going out. And the stickers, yes. So if you want stickers, like I say, Always, they're for free, totally free of charge if you want them. Just uh, drop us an email or a uh, uh, or on our Facebook, which is Robots Rise Podcast. Um, just let us know your address and we'll send them to you. Our email address, because we haven't got Rob, it, I think it's robotsrise at gmail.com. Usually Rob's the fountain of knowledge when it comes to that. Fountain of knowledge, second reference. Well, I think you uh, you logged in on the laptop via Gmail, so I'm assuming... Yeah, I just Gmail. can't remember exactly what it is. Oh, because well. I put it in once and it and it remembers it, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Well, they'll, they'll remember. I'm sure from the previous they'll, episodes. They'll remember. Um, we're recording in a different place today as well, so I hope there's no echo because it sounds there might be echo coming through here because we're in an echoey room. Yeah, I don't. Sounds alright to me. The we did the Mothman episode we did. in here. And did it sound bad? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but as we said on Facebook, we've had a busy week this week, really busy. I haven't been able to link up with Rob. Um, we've had to sort of scrape an episode together yesterday and a little bit during the week. So um, I hope it's not shit. <laughs> it shouldn't be shit. It should be fine. Uh, thank you to Dawn Reed and Ben Walther for joining our Facebook page. Word to you all. That's bang oh. on. Cheers. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. If anyone could be bothered, give us a review on iTunes because um, it helps make a podcast more discoverable. I don't really know how, but apparently it does. So give us a, uh, a review. If it's shit, just tell us uh, in private. On if Facebook. It's, yeah, if it's great. <laughs> via email. If it's great, just, uh, just uh, yeah, just praise us. Praise us. Yeah. So um, write us on Facebook as well. As always, crack cushions. Have you seen, are you, I don't think you've had a look at crack cushions, have you? I No, I think you've shown me some of the crack cushions crack cushions yeah are made find, find them cool. on um facebook twitter instagram pinterest and i think it's etsy on the etsy store forward slash crack cushions i'm sure you can find it but um place sure an order i'm sure if you fuckers. can type, type it into mr google he'll help you yeah google help you um yeah place an order they're great uh check them out even just for the name they're they're really good um, like we say, facebook.com, Robots Rise Podcast, if you want to join the group. We've got a really, really lonely Twitter account that we set up a week ago. <laughs> I think we've got like five followers or something. So um, 
I don't know, add us. Give us some episode suggestions. We've had some really good episode suggestions this week from Paul and John. Actually, I think it was two Pauls, Paul McDonald and Paul Sparrow. Um, uh, the Moors Murderers, that's uh, that's going to be a belter. Richie Edwards, Manic Street Preachers. You probably don't know who Richie Edwards is, do you? I've seen the Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, but that, not when he, not in the like, 1990s. Oh, no. And, uh, and John as well. He mentioned um, Foo Fighters. Uh, during World War Two, not the band, oh. but <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, the unknown aerial vehicles. Mm. So we'll uh, we'll cover them. Um, but we've got, I think we've got about a, over a year's worth of episodes now, episode sort of topics that we can cover. So we've got shit loads. But well, there's a lot in the world to talk about, isn't there? There's a lot of weird things, a lot of weird things. So um, keep the suggestions coming because they're really good to to hear. Uh, and also, if you've got any stories, we'd like to. Ghost stories. Any stories? Fun. Any yeah. stories, but ghost stories are fun, aren't they? Yeah, any stories. It can be ghost stories. It could be uh, gardening stories. It can be stories about whatever you want it to be about. Just send them in <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, somehow put them into the, um, into the show. Now, before we crack on, I want to talk about your... your um, so, I, my employer has tasked me to um, do something good in the world... And you get basically you get a week's volunt a week's holiday paid where you have to you can you yes. donate your time to, to charity work. So yeah, it's a week's paid. So I get paid for my for my week, but instead of going to work, I get given time the time to raise some money, do something good for charity or for a good cause. So it could be that I wanted to help in a community centre or help in a homeless shelter, or which is the route I think I'm going to go, is raise some money for some charities. Um, I did try and set up a GoFundMe page, but uh, they didn't process it because... Fuck you, GoFundMe. Oh, was it? No, it was Just Giving, actually. They just Fuck you, Just Giving. <laughs> I didn't mean that, GoFundMe. You're brilliant. GoFundMe is all right, yeah. No, they didn't process it because apparently I filled it out wrong, so... I haven't had time to redo that yet, um, but I will be. Um, so when it is all up and running, I will give Tom over here the details for um, for anyone who out there who feels generous to go and contribute to a good cause. Um, I will be representing Cancer Research UK and Arthritis Research UK. So both research charities that will... Um, help in the future of these diseases. Um, obviously, cancer affects everybody somehow in some form, whether it be, you know, someone you know directly or in, you know, some or actually yourself. Um, I think, you know, these are the causes that I feel passionate about. I suffer with arthritis myself. She does. So, you know, I think for myself and the future of other young adults who are suffering from this condition um i think you know the research there can can really be helped because i'm sure there is something more they can do more than yeah. what's currently it's happening. just a matter of time before everything can be solved or at least alleviated yeah. um in a more productive way than it is so essentially what we're saying is at, at some point uh, we're going to be um mentioning i'm going to be saying give page. some money over yeah. just go you know it, the thing is even if if 
a small amount of people give a pound or a large amount of people give a pound each, you know, that adds up massively. Yeah, you, you would have, get a, a lot of people You'd have involved. a fair bit of cash if that happened. Exactly. So Give me a quid as well while you're there. <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, if, if, if I'm, well, not say if, when I have reset up the page, um, I will give the details over to Thomas. And we'll, we'll to, read it uh, out. Any help would be appreciated read, yeah, on that. Any help. Really, you know, from anywhere in the world is, even if is it's massively yeah. appreciated. And even if it's like 10p, I don't yeah. care. But do yeah, whatever. I mean, that's the thing. If a lot of people give a small amount, then that adds up super fast. And you then have a... Subs- my, my main goal is to raise a substantial amount of money, something that actually will help and change, you know, actually give some, some real change rather than just a couple of hundred pounds that you know, that I could raise just sort of doing a run, a fun run. Yeah. I really, I really sort of... You're not going to do a fun run, let's n- be honest. No. She'll do um. a sp- sponsored lie on the sofa with a blanket. <laughs> but we've never... I mean, there's a lot of... We, if, I don't know if... I'm guessing the people that listen to this listen to other podcasts as well. That would be crazy if you didn't. But podcasts, act, they do sometimes ask for money for support. We're not asking for that. We're asking for... This is the first time we've asked for any for, any form of... Um, uh, money but it's going to charity so if you want to do it do it if you don't whatever it's not yeah, a problem i mean we're not you know there's no one forcing you to go there and, and at the end of the day at the, mo- at the moment we don't even have anything set up so if no, you want I, to give well, us money we can, you couldn't <laughs> i will have it set up by next week so the yeah. next time you you do another podcast it will be set up yeah. so that um people you know you can give out the url and people can go and, and check it out so there you go people get involved with that even though you can't get involved with that but get involved in that when you can. <laughs> um, before we go into our episode, and it's great because Hannah hasn't got a clue what we're going to talk about today. No, you've not told me. Um, but um, I want to talk about the World War Two bomb for a little bit. Not this, that's not the episode. Oh, the that's bomb. not the episode. Oh, but yeah. it, it's a, it's a talking point. We like to have a little bit of chit chat now. That ruined my Monday. But basically, <laughs> in Birmingham, uh, 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 in the city centre, yeah, there's a, a World War Two bomb was discovered just off the A38M, which is basically is like a, an eight lane sort of. Well, it's a seven. It's a sort of contraflow system. Yeah. So it's, it's an expressway through um, a town called Aston. It's the main. It's the main artery into Birmingham. So yeah, we, we which is the second city in England. Second. Tom and I live north of the city, um, and he is the only really Aston is one of the only main routes into the city. And of course, they found this bomb very close to this seven lane. Well, it's, it's crazy because around that area, it's totally built. It's totally built up. It's oh, not yeah. like fields. It's built up, and it's, th- this bomb was found on a patch of land where they were doing some been. building work. And there's mm. like houses. And I think it's just been a derelict piece of land. Yeah, for yeah, a long yeah. Time there's and factories and all sorts around. And there. they've just so happened to start some work on on it and found. Yeah, they a just dug it up. Giant World War Two. It was bomb. a 250 kilo, 500 pound. Uh, yeah, an, but an exploded bomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It, just sitting there, this this bomb had come down. hadn't hadn't well, I don't know if it hit the target because there's a, they used to build the um, Spitfire planes not too far away, and um, this was probably a target for that. Um, and and it and it hasn't hit, and it's hit the ground. And for uh, for seventy odd years, it's been sitting under the ground, and no one knew it was there until they dug it up. Um, and it, they had to put a huge cordon off, some 500-metre cordon, which shut, basically, the main entrance into the city centre off, which just fucked everybody. Yeah. How long did it take you to get home? Um, so the journey from this is the city centre to where we live is usually 20 to 30 minutes. Um, it took me two and a half hours. Yeah, two and a half hours. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Home, yeah. So what they had to do with this... this um, it actually was the biggest detonation of a... 
uh, b- biggest controlled explosion of a bomb in the UK. In the UK, uh, they they um, called the army, bomb disposal people in, um, and they assessed the situation and basically built like a giant sort of sandbag tomb around it, and uh, then blew the fucker up two days later, and it yeah. really went bang, didn't it? It, well, mean, I, massive explosion. Luckily, I had home working days the the following, so I obviously took me a long time to get home Monday. I worked from home Tuesday, Wednesday, so I didn't actually hear the blast, unfortunately. You might have been able to from here. You might Maybe. have been. I mean, if I'd have been 10, in ten, twelve in miles, the you might have. It was a big blast. It was, but it's it was in Aston, so it's not. It wasn't actually in the city centre. The blast. It was, you know, in a town sort of on the outskirts of of the city, but. Um, yeah, it was an interesting... So for everybody in, who listens to this in Birmingham... <laughs> they'll, they'll know my pain <laughs> from... Yeah, tra- luckily, you were working in Manchester. I, I wasn't so around. It was great. I would have been, but uh, but uh, I wasn't. But then, because of this, I mean, this bomb blast going off, um, coincidentally, I went down like... Uh, I, I discovered a documentary on, on Netflix. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called Command and Control um, or something like that. Not Command and Conquer, that's a computer game, but this was Command and Control, I think. And it was about broken arrows, which we're going to have to do a, a um, an episode on because it's fucking frightening, man. It's, it's, it's essentially incidents and accidents involving nuclear weapons. Um, and, th- and this documentary, if you haven't seen it, dig it out, go and watch it. It's about a Titan II missile, uh, which had a ballistic warhead, uh, intercontinental thermonuclear weapon. It was based in Arkansas. And uh, the actual warhead had more explosive power on it than every single bomb dropped in World War Two, including both of the nuclear weapons that were used in Japan. And there was a massive incident and uh, it got well out of control. And it could have easily killed many millions of people. Um, and it's terrifying. And these, this isn't the first incident. There's, I think there's something like six nuclear weapons that they've lost. <laughs> they've just lost them. I mean, how do you lose a nuclear weapon? Because what they used to do, they were, well, I say what they used to, they probably still do it now, but they, they would be permanently ready f- to strike anywhere in the world and they'd be on planes, planes crash. I mean, they've had instances where people have accidentally dropped bombs. A geezer pulled the wrong lead, lever over, I think it was North Carolina, and just dropped a nuke, just blatantly dropped a nuke. Five out, four out of the five safety devices on this weapon um, failed. One stopped a thermonuclear explosion and it was just literally like a, almost like a light switch. If that had failed or it had been hit, it would have just been millions of people and then the knock-on effects of other countries picking up or detecting a nuclear explosion. It could potentially end civilization. And there's thousands of these things, thousands and thousands of these weapons lurking around and it's really, really sobering, very, very scary. Mm. You weren't that interested, though, were you? Well, you were like, no, I can't. I forgot to pay attention. Yeah, my eyeballs were popping out of my head. And I was <laughs> shitting myself, thinking these things are everywhere. They're like monsters under the ground that are just desperately trying to get out, and humans are just trying to stop them. They're horrible things. Well, yeah, I mean, of course they're horrible things. Why the guy who invented him, the yeah, I mean, nuclear warheads should. Probably regretted it as soon as he did it. He did. Oppenheimer said, "I have become the destroyer of worlds." Mm. And well, he was like, should, Fuck, I that's really the thing. Am. Although you can't invent it. I'm not sure that we will end up. Dist- I don't know. It's hard to say. Destroy ourselves. More likely that we will 
get destroyed by an external force that we can't control, like a comet or something. Well, I pondered this for a bit and I thought, okay, let's say, for instance, that we did go into, you know, full-on thermonuclear war. I don't think that would kill every single human being on the planet. There's going to be tribes somewhere, like in that yeah, Amazon, that exactly, get away. Yeah. There's people out there that don't even know that we're around now. They're mm. just, they've got such a small, I say small, very... A very small niche, bubble of existence, yeah. and they don't get. Oh, they see a helicopter, and they think that the fucking that God's coming down to get them. So I don't think we'd kill. Every, I don't think we'd get rid of every. No, definitely human. not. And you know, even even extinction level event, um, kind of thing. So comet, the comet that destroyed the dinosaurs, for example, didn't eradicate eradicate life. all life because if it did, we wouldn't be here. So you know, small mammals, things that lived underground, things that didn't have much of a chance to thrive because the dominant species were the dinosaurs. Of course, once the dinosaurs had been wiped out, then had a great chance to thrive and it's did. Vacuum, they did. So th- yeah, they did, yeah. And, of course, that is what gave birth to, to you know, most of what's on the planet now. So there mammals. you go. Mostly, us, yeah. us, other so mammals. Check, check that documentary out. It's uh, it is very. I'm not going into detail on that because it, I don't want to spoil it. But it is fucking terrifying what happened, and it has happened multiple times. Are we talking about weapons that can end? Well, this is a thing. You know, human nature is to, you know, is to to make mistakes. That's just what human nature is. And yeah, a lot. Uh, but that's what it is. They put, are mistakes you, by people. Yeah, and you put such massively dangerous things in the hands of singular humans of course mistakes will happen yep. just 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 the nature of of things they so will unfortunately, indeed that you know don't fuck with nukes wait until the ai comes out and they can look after them and they'll know what to do <laughs> indeed indeed yeah they'll get rid of them they'll get rid of them probably yeah right we'll crack on with our episode now after we've just talked shit for a bit so <laughs> we're going to talk shit for a, a bit more now <laughs> okay reality is merely an illusion although a very persistent one. That was a quote by Albert Einstein. And today we're going to talk about NDEs. Do you know what an NDE is, Hannah? Not a clue. A near-death oh. experience. You don't know what they are? No, I know what they are, yeah. I you know what know they are? What abbreviation. Okay, before we go into, into the episode, I'm not religious. You, are you religious? Nope. As far as I know, you're not religious. Um, I don't know what ha- is happening in these experiences, I don't know what is going on, um, but from what we can tell, uh, it seems something is occurring during the death process. If these accounts have any truth, um, it, it could indicate a sort of a level of reality that we're not, we can't really pick up on. Um, and I don't think, though, that they're an indication of God. That's my personal, personal viewpoint. I don't think that these experiences are any reflection of a divine creator. I really don't. Okay, so a near-death experience. There may be something telling in the title, i.e. near-death experience. Does this imply that people who have had these experiences and these events are not dead? Because they're called near-death experiences. Could this be something that is occurring when you're nearly dead? Well, isn't it a near-death experience when someone um, dies and then is brought back? I thought that's what it was. Yes, yes, so, like, yeah, they yeah. Di- so they do die, technically. In, te- in technicalities of, of modern medical science, they are dead. 
but yet they are revived, so they come back. So it's it's that time which, you know, that sort of small window of time at which they are actually dead, well, that they experience this stuff. It could be something that the brain does during the shutting down process. I don't know, but for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to stick with accounts and stories from the medical world, like hospitals and emergency rooms, for one clear reason. These accounts can be verified. They're verifiable. Um, we can, well, I suppose they're as verifiable as we can get. Um, most of the people involved in hospitals that go through near-death experiences are hooked up to machines. They're going through medical procedures, um, and they're being measured by sophisticated equipment and instruments that we rely on every single day. Uh, we will try and avoid accounts from all of the sources, such as people claiming to have experiences um, like, I don't know, falling down, having a heart attack at home, and then, for instance, saying that they experienced something that can't be explained. I'm not saying that, that that isn't the case, and they may have experienced something strange, except you can't prove that they were dead. Then They're not necessarily dead. You know, your auntie checking your pulse and saying he wasn't breathing, and then you go, oh, I saw this. Doesn't. I mean, it might be, might be the case, but we'll mm. stick to medical scenarios, um, but in my opinion, I think we need to have more information and research done on exactly when the point of death occurs. Because as you'll see from these accounts, people are clearly perceiving things and knowing things that they simply shouldn't be able to know. Yeah. Um, they have been declared clinically dead by a team of specialists. And in some cases, people can recount the way that people reacted to their death, like family members. They've even seen things high up on cupboards, like in the corners of the rooms. Uh, and like, for instance, there's accounts of people seeing things on the roof of the hospital when they came in dead. And they're saying, you know, go, go up and have a look at this on the roof. There's a shoe there. And they go up and there's a shoe. It, it, it would be impossible for them to, to know that, but yet they do. Um, we need we may not have the instruments that can measure the point of death accurately enough to know when it precisely occurs. For example, a team of Canadian doctors have recently observed brain activity in a patient who had been declared clinically dead for 10 minutes. In this case, doctors confirmed the patient was dead through the normal range of observations, including the absence of a pulse and then reactive pupils. But tests showed that the patient's brain appeared to keep working and experienced the same kind of brain waves that occur during deep sleep, which I find quite disturbing. Mm. That's, I find that a bit freaky, that you could be declared dead. Yeah, that's kind of... But, but this sort of display the same brainwaves as a if you are really tired and really fallen asleep well you're deep deep asleep but they think you're dead well you may not be uh, what happens to the body and consciousness and the mind during and immediately after death remains almost entirely mysterious to scientists two studies from last year for instance demonstrated that genes appear to continue to function and even function more energetically in the days after people have died in the days now we're not talking genes. genes, yeah. We're not talking hours or minutes. Days. Days after if you have died, days after you've died, these genes are functioning. And they function better. They seem to ramp up. What do these genes do? Many of these post-mortem genes are beneficial in, em in emergencies. Like, I suppose it's like they're sort of 
oh fuck me Jean <laughs> what's going on we need to sort of d- we're dying do do something mm. um, they seem to perform tasks such as spurring inflammation firing up the immune system and counteracting stress um, it's interesting that this can occur in brain dead chilled bodies that have been in the morgue for days it, can genes operate without a living mind can they operate independently you're looking at me extremely concerned there <laughs> Well, they're still they're still operating within a biological body, though. Uh, yeah, but someone that's been dead and yeah, okay. So it's uh, obviously perhaps they don't need a functioning brain, but surely they need some kind of biological body. They need fuel, I would be, imagine, some something, some energy there. source to keep them just, going. It's not just a oh that you know it it you know it's still processes happening within. A dead body, basically, is what you're saying. So that these genes are trying to, you know, set off the the parts of your body to deal with anti-stress, stress. anti-inflammation. So, yeah, it's like um, like an old fuck me gene. Like, what's going on? We've got to do something. We're in deep shit here. Let's just do everything we can to counteract any injury, any stress. It's, it's, it's very peculiar. Uh, they found a lot of genes to be quite. Interesting and surprising. Uh, what's jaw-dropping is that uh, developmental genes are turned on after death, right? These genes normally help sculpt embryos, yeah? But they aren't needed after birth. One possible explanation for these post-mortem reawakening, uh, researchers say, is that the cellular condition in a newly dead corpse resemble those in an embryo. And it potentially is tricking these genes into action. But an embryo is alive. Yeah. A dead person is a dead person, <laughs> you'd think. Well, yeah. I That's mean, what, but the thing is, an embryo... Yeah, at what point does an embryo have a brain, a functioning brain? I don't know that. Well, maybe not even a functioning brain. So but at some point, you go from... You just go from... You know, there is a process at which in in the production of of an embryo that you are just splitting cells you know there is no brain there is no consciousness it's a biological function it's a biological function it's a lot it is alive but but it's alive but then you could say i suppose of a dead person there's plenty on that dead person that's still alive bacteria bacteria and you know all the stuff in the guts and stuff that's still yeah. Going through a process that's still alive, but that but because but you know all and it, even a decomposition, you know there are things making that happen to your body. Yeah, but they, so they're like kind of I suppose the bacteria are they're independent of the body. The genes are fundamentally you; they are what make you, and they seem to come alive and function better in the days after death. It's, it's really really peculiar. They also found that some genes promote cancer. When they bec- after you've di- after you've died, they become more active. Genes that promote cancer sort of spring into life. Um, that result could explain why people who receive transplants from recently deceased people have a higher risk of cancer because they're inheriting a organ that from from a from a dead a, person from a body that's gone through the process of death, which yeah. is dead. It's not yeah, it's completely yeah, dead. But, th- but that organ has gone through the process of of death. So it, it, then it's whipped out and put into something that's alive. Um, it's pretty, it's I mean, you know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, how often do transplant people get cancer, though? So oh, there's a higher there's, there's a high percentage. There's of a high, yeah, but the thing is, they do say that a lot about cancer, don't they? 
there is a much higher percentage of people getting cancer from um, uh, transplant organs, and this is one of the reasons why. It's pretty cool. It's pretty well. It's not cool. Well, it's, not it's, cool. Pretty, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, a team of scientists said that they initially thought that the sudden death of a vertebrate, so it's like us, something with the backbone, would be uh, almost similar to a car driving down a highway and running out of gas. They said that for short periods of time, you know, you'd, you'd expect pistons to move up and down and spark plugs would spark and eventually the car would grind to a halt. And that's what they would imagine or they think that happens and occurs in, in, in us, basically. But on the genetic level, it seems to be the exact opposite. It, it appears that the, the our genes are trying to almost bump start us again. They're trying to keep us going. They're trying to um, counteract the stress that's occurring. It's quite interesting stuff, that is. And uh, in, in rats, for instance, they, they have... Um, They've seen mysterious uh, bursts of, uh, of brain waves within a minute after death, and we have absolutely no idea what that what that does. Well, didn't they say back you know back in the day that days that they used to behead people that you know they would do experiments on these beheading beheaded people, saying you know blink twice mm -hmm. if you can still hear me, and they very often would. Yes, you know, they they're would. still even though the head has been completely severed from the body, which you know inevitably means you can't function in life anymore. Oh, um, no. You know, your brain and your, your, your vital organs in your body need to be connected in order to live. Yet this, they're still, they're, their brain is still functioning as far as we can to tell. understand yeah. things like what? <laughs> it's like well, this, what with the genes coming to life, I, d I think that's why we probably need a better definition of, of death, the actual time of death. I mean, we used to think it was as soon as your heart stopped and then we became aware that it's, you know, oxygen depletion in the brain that would yeah, eventually shut the brain down. Surely it's your brain. It's, your, it's when your brain is no longer functioning. Yeah, well, surely, surely, yes. Uh, but this is what this episode is about because <laughs> apparently, uh, no, apparently... But the thing is, with near-death experiences, you are that that's different to just your genes functioning after you die. Yes, that's what I mean. Because you are separate from your body at that point. You separate. So, that, you know, they, then you're into the conversation about whether, you know, once you die, does your soul, as it were, leave your body? And, and are, are you still able to understand things well, once we'll that go, happens? We'll go into a few accounts. And um, it may change. I mean, these are verifiable accounts that we've got, obviously. It may change your, your viewpoint. Um, I think it's important to be open-minded on everything. You can't... Because you don't believe something doesn't mean that it can't be real. I really think that. This, I mean, this is a thing, I suppose... If you think it can't happen, you're being closed-minded. You have bit. to just look at everything and go, yeah, it could potentially happen. Show me the evidence that this is happening. Show me the evidence this is occurring. A lot of people don't like it when... For instance, we'll talk about near-death experience, and you can actually I will project, present evidence of of um, perception after death, verifiable. Um, people don't like that sometimes because it destroys their world viewpoint. Well, and I think you know you sort of mentioned in the beginning that you weren't religious, and nor was I. But you know, I sort of view religion in the same way as I do everything else that has some kind of shrouded idea about it whether it's real or not you know like near-death experiences like whether ghosts exist all this kind of stuff um i think that you know personally I, i'm not gonna completely rule it out until but i, I also equally i'm not gonna completely believe it until it's proven 
you're open-minded. I'm open-minded about it, yeah. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say God definitely does exist or I wouldn't say he definitely doesn't either. I think religion does give people hope and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, a typical near-death experience, uh, well, I say typical, the most people um, report uh, is, is that they'll leave the body, body, see a tunnel of light, experience euphoria, they'll meet dead relatives, um, and, and you know they'll have a choice whether to return to their body, and they always do, because if they didn't, we wouldn't know about it, because they'd still be dead. Um, but that's not the case all the time. Some people have hellish times, horrific experiences, and we'll cover them in a bit because we can't have a uh, a really, really uh, happy and joyful podcast about death without talking about somebody who's been to hell. Probably could be quite literally. But the first case we're going to cover is Pam Reynolds. Pam Reynolds is, is probably the most famous case. Uh, basically, for many years, she was suffering with really bad headaches, horrific headaches, nasty migraines and dizziness. Um, she was having CT scans, and doctors discovered that she had a massive aneurysm located at the base of her brain. And the doctors told her that there was no chance of surviving since the, the aneurysm was in an access, inaccessible place, and there was no way they could remove it. Um, you've got limited time. Sort your affairs out. Get on with it. Now, obviously, she was very, very scared and disturbed at the thought that there was nothing they could do. So began searching for any form of treatment. And her and her mother eventually found a geezer called Dr. Robert Spletzer, I think his name is. And he had pioneered a surgical procedure called hypothermic cardiac arrest. And in this procedure, surgeons would lower the body temperature to around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 15 degrees Celsius. This would stop her heart and her breathing, and they would then drain the blood from the brain and flatten her brain waves. Basically, she would be clinically dead. Because sort of brain dead. Yeah, 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 totally dead. Because they can't get this out with her being alive. Mm. So we're like, fuck it. Well, we'll have to just kill you, take it out, and then bring and then, you back. Yeah. So that's what that essentially what they were going to do. I mean, is that risky? But with no option other than death, what are you going to do? Well, you're, why? Yeah, what? What have you got to lose? You're gonna, you're gonna, you might as well just do it. So they, um, Dr. Spletzer explained that the reason no brain activity occurs, even though the, flood, uh, uh, the flow of blood to the brain has stopped, is due to the fact that the brain is kept cold. Um, he says it's very similar to what happens to animals when they hibernate. Once you've cooled the body down to a certain point, you can drain the blood out for up to 60 minutes. The brain can be without oxygen, but will remain undamaged. So it's kind of like, Putting you in, putting your, killing you and putting your body in suspended animation. So you're dead, but your body is, is not degrading. It's staying at that point, the exact point when you died because you've basically been chilled. Um, is that brain dead though? Is it? I'm not um, sure. No, I feel like that's more like. Um, well, they say they've got to flatten the brain waves. Probably a step on from being in a coma, maybe. Well, I'm not. I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely sure, but it 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 does seem to me from reading this that they they literally will kill you to do it. Yeah, um, I mean, like I say, a step on. So you know, you've got no brain function. Like you, you say, flatten your brain waves. So there's no actual brain function going on whilst they're doing this procedure. But it's it's almost like you know when you when you're given an anaesthetic, you take into the point at which sleep wise that you are on the brink of death in order so that you don't feel pain 
because normal sleep function, you feel the pain. So they yes. have to take you that step further in order so, you know, for you not to be able to actually feel it when they're doing it. Yeah. And obviously there are, of course, cases where um, people are are able to feel. Yes, even, there are. You know, but I feel like that it's kind of like the brain equivalent of that maybe, that they are taking you to death, to the point of death, to the point of flattening your brain waves. But then, but still being but but still being able to bring you back yes. and have no brain damage. Well, they as do, a what result. they do in this, we'll we'll, go, we'll I'll talk about it in a minute. We might obviously, I'm not a, you know a brain surgeon, so I can't really tell you exactly. But I'll go into it as much as I can. But they um, they will t- they test your brain activity to make sure that there is none. This is why this case is interesting. They ha- they have to make sure that you're dead, really. <laughs> Um, so they basically they prepped her. They put shitloads of sensors on her head um, and her body to closely monitor her. Electrodes were attached to her scalp, and an EEG machine recorded cerebral cortex brain activity. They put tiny speakers in her ears. These produced a series of clicks that act- activated the auditory nerve in the brain stem. These devices enabled the doctors throughout the operation to both monitor the activity in her brain stem and activity in the cortex, a fact that would later prove crucial to near-death experience researchers. Basically, what we're saying here is um, when we say uh, activity, we mean a lack of activity. What they're doing is they're they're clicking a noise into her head to try and make her brain respond to it. When it doesn't respond, they know that she's dead. So this is how they confirm that she's, uh, in fact, fucking dead, and then we can crack on with this. Because if she's not completely out of it, and then you start chopping into her head. Like we've said, it will kill her. So they can't. So they have to kill her. And this is how they confirm that she's dead. Um, they're not necessarily killing her. They're taking her to the point They're taking of her life and then giving it her back. Yeah. They are killing her. Well, yeah. They are killing her. They're taking her life. They are. But basically, they opened her head with a bone saw. Um, and Pouton said that it was when the doctor was cutting into her head that the near-death experience began. She said, the first thing she remembers was a high-pitched sound. She said, my eyes were taped shut and I had speakers in my ears and I was nearly comatose and yet I began to hear this unpleasant noise. Now, that's quite telling. I was nearly comatose. Surely you should be before they start doing this procedure. Did they fuck up? Because she was aware of that or was she aware of it in a different state of reality? Probably the state of reality because... For all intents and purposes, they would not have started that procedure without her being, you know, having flat brain waves. Oh, unless the sensor wasn't in the correct place and they weren't... Anyway, anyway, we don't know. Yeah, but she wouldn't have... You know, (laughs) you would call out if you were... If it was in this plane of reality, you'd call out. If you could. Yeah, if you could. But again, I suppose it's this whole, you know, sort of procedure where, you know, people that have... Feel that feel the operation when even though they they can't say anything they can't they're paralysed they can't communicate but yet they can feel and hear and everything that's going on. Well, this is basic. It's not it's not the same, but it sort of is. So she's got her eyes taped shut. She's got shit in her ears, and they're starting to drill into her head. Um, and she said it was then that I sort of she said I sort of popped out of my body to see what this horrific noise was. My vantage point was rather like sitting on top of Dr. Spletzler's shoulder. 
I could see an instrument that was making an awful noise. It looked like an electric toothbrush. There was a tray very close by that had attachments for the drill. It looked like the sort of tray my father used to keep his socket wrenches in when I was a kid. As the operation progressed, her body temperature continued to drop and her heart began to flutter and die. So she's not totally dead here, right? Complete cardiac arrest occurred when the heart was injected with potassium chloride. This is the bit that they edge her over into the realm of the unknown. At this point, the head of the operating table is tipped up. So she's actually literally going up, almost upside down. She's at an angle. And the heart and lung machine is switched off and all the blood is drained from her body. So she's dead as fuck now. Her heart's not beating. She's not breathing. There's no brain waves. And all the blood has drained from her body. By now, all electri- electrical activity in the brain has ceased. Both monitors registered a flat line. She's clinically dead. And it's at this point that Pam's near-death experience went into the next stage. She said there was a sensation like being pulled, but not against your will. She said it was as if she was going on her own accord because she wanted to go. She said it felt like going up up an elevator really, really fast. Um, She recognised the voice of her deceased grandmother. So these do tend to sometimes go a bit sort of religious and Mm. uh, they got a religious aspect, but be open-minded. I've not been dead, so I don't know what happens. This person has. Let's listen to what she's got to say. She said her voice wasn't a voice made from vocal cords. She would look at me and I would understand. She says, as I began to discern individuals around me, they were wearing light. They seemed to be made of light. Pam described a group of deceased relatives that that surrounded her and fed her, which is a bit peculiar. She said that they weren't doing this through my mouth with food. They were nourishing me with something. The only way I can describe it, it was something sparky, almost like light, (laughs) electricity, which is really, really confusing. Mm. Uh, She she communicated with them. She, She explains the communication. She recalls that it was extremely an extremely strange method. Um, she said, you don't have to search for the right words to express your thoughts. Communication moves at the speed of light. You just have to think it, and it is sent out instantaneously. There is no misunderstanding. That sounds like telepathy. You don't have to audibly say it. You just think, think it. it. Well, she's saying that they're, they're communicating with that, you know, in, in, in human and vocal cord yeah. kind of way. Very, so very peculiar Just way. looked at me and I knew what she was saying. So it gets to tele- tele- oh, I telepathy. I can't say that word. And I'm the one that's Telepathy. <laughs> uh, she said there was shitloads of light in the environment that she was in, uh, wherever that was. She asked her grandmother if the light was God. Right, so she knows she's dead now. She's seeing dead relatives and she's surrounded by light and she's, I suppose, naturally thinking, is this God? Um And she was told, no, the light is not God. The light is what happens when God breathes. What the fuck does that mean? The light is what happens when God breathes. So light's God's breath. I don't know what it means. (laughs) I don't know what it means, but this is what it said. She said the light was amazing. She could see many, many more colours than she'd ever perceived before. And the entities, uh, her relatives that are around her, they made musical notes that played in harmony when there were multiple entities present. So you've got this illuminated, brilliantly illuminated environment with, well, I suppose your dead relatives, and there's this weird harmonic sound going on. 
it sounds like it sounds like sort of almost like string theory, like vibrate, mm. like the universe is in string theory. It says everything's connected. It's all strings and vibrate vibrations. And, and this is, it sounds, that's the first thing that popped into my mind when I was, when I read that, I don't know. Strings and vibrators. <laughs> vibrators. <laughs> what? Vibrators. <laughs> um, she checked herself to see if she was literally there because everyone else looked peculiar. And she says she was, she was there physically, but there was no density in her flesh she was completely non-physical. Uh, she said it was as if the bodies were floating in midair. There was light and shadow, but it, the light and the shadow didn't seem to fall on anything, which is weird. Could you imagine a shadow, but that's not hitting anything? It's just a big old floaty. But how can place. you get a shadow that's not landing on anything? Where it's contrast, you, you can. It's it could just be light just and dark. It's, yeah. just, it's not necessarily shadows, as in you only get shadow when the sun. Reflect, you know, shines on you, and you're casting a sort of negative space behind it. An absence, an absence of light, but you can have contrast in in color. Well, she's explaining, light and dark. yeah. I suppose she's trying to describe a really traumatic event the best way she can, and this is the way it's coming out. It may not actually be like what she says at all. Um, so by now, the operation was nearly over. Uh, however. Serious problems now arose. The heart monitor began to register a lethal cardiac rhythm that, if not corrected, would kill her completely dead, unrevivable, she'd be a goner. So surgeons decided to use a defibrillator to jumpstart her heart. Um, initially, the paddles were applied and electricity shocked into her heart with no response. She's not coming back. Um, at this point in Pam's near-death experience, her deceased uncle began to lead her back through a tunnel to her body. She says, when I saw my body, I didn't want to go back in. It looked awful. It looked like a train wreck, and it looked like I was dead. Uh, it said it scared me, and I didn't want to look at it. Uh, because you were dead, love. That's why. Yeah. Um, she described re-entering her body was like jumping into a pool of ice water. She said it really, really hurt. After the second paddle blast to her chest uh, had succeeded in reactivating her heart, Pam regained consciousness on the operating table there and then. Uh, what, is, what is amazing is that she was dead throughout the entire procedure. They know she was dead, and she could not be aware of anything. That, you know, the machines confirmed that she was dead, um, but she immediately recalled this experience, which is strange. She also, she also related conversations uh, that doctors had had with each other while she was down and out. There's mm. no way she could have done it. They well, yeah. it's, not, it's not possible. Um, she couldn't have been alive during the procedure because it would have killed her. So she's clearly perceiving things and experienced things in a point where she is being medically monitored and is dead. What do you think? Is that faulty equipment? Did they just do it when she was alive? They thought that she no, was dead? This, the thing is, her accounting of, of this situation isn't one of her accounting it while she's on the table. You know, she's not, she's not recalling how she could hear them drilling into her bone, you know, into her skull. She's not recalling, you know, she might be recalling some conversation, but what, 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 you're, what you're telling me is she's had an outer body experience because she is specifically describing what it felt like to re-enter her body. Yeah, she was so somewhere she's else. she's having a near-death experience where she has, a you know, sort of her physicality is left behind and her... However you want to call it, her essence, her aura, her soul... Consciousness. Has, consciousness has left. And 
gone some somewhere else, whether that be, you know, this this place she's describing of, you know, light. If she was a religious person, I can understand why she's jumping. And also to you the can understand why people turn religious to after an experience like this. Yeah, of course. But she's jumping to a place that, you know, she knows something she's she's she is aware of um, that being you know that you go you go somewhere you go to heaven when you die that she sort of to me it sounds very much like she's describing what heaven could be like if if you believe in if you you know choose yeah. to believe in that but it also can describe a a a, a, reali- a, a reality that that you go to if once you die you know that could be it doesn't have to be heaven it doesn't have to be it could just be no, the exactly. reality of what or it could be part of the de- of the dying process and that she was actually dying, and this is why I said that you know um, genes can can are active for days after death. So she may have flatlined, she may have been brain dead, but but that's maybe that's not actually when you die. Maybe we're not measuring it correctly, and that she actually is still alive in some form mm. at that point. But we think she's dead, but she's not. But the next case I find is quite fascinating this is about a geezer called uh george uh rodonia um he was hit by a car and killed instantly this geezer was dead as fuck proper fucked up his body was picked up by emergency services he was mangled and he was placed in a morgue and uh, for three days he was dead they just shoved him in there just just sort it all out um it, it, this is what he recalls because obviously he's not dead he said uh, i discovered myself in a, ra- a realm of total darkness that could just be the inside of the fridge. It could be. Yeah. He said, I had no physical pain. I was still somehow aware of my existence as George. The environment was utterly black. This is what surrounded me and pressed upon me. I was horrified. I wasn't prepared at all for this. I was shocked to find that I still existed, but I didn't know where I was. The one thought that kept rolling through my mind was, how can I be when I am not? He said that troubled him. So I'm not sure if he knows what's happened to him at this point he may not know but he's but he's saying he's dead he's point, in a morgue yeah but he's saying at that point i he's was surprised that i was still existing so he must have had some inclination that he would had been in an accident and died yeah i suppose that's a good point actually yeah yeah i, I don't know whether it, like, i mean i don't know whether he knows what's happened but he's he, he yeah like you say he's he's aware that something isn't right yeah because he's aware of himself um, and he's surprised at that. Very surprised. He said, slowly I got a grip on myself and began to think about what had happened and what was going on. Um, seems like he was starting to panic a little bit. Um, nothing refreshing or relaxing came to my mind. Why am I in the darkness? What am I to do? He said he got hope from the fact that he knew who he was and he found this a big positive in the total black. He wasn't nothing. He he remembered him. Mm. So So that's a positive... Um, so he's co- he's he's sort of retained his own consciousness. Yeah, because he's, seems it. Because it's it, you know he's you're saying he's aware of himself still being. Is it George? Yeah, George. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you aware. Know, so that that person that he was before he died is still there. Well, imagine being in that place like a totally black. I mean, you don't know what's going on. A black, cold place that you think you might be in for infinity, completely alone. Well, that's creepy. Isn't it's it? creepy because he doesn't know what's happening. Um, he said, then I thought, how can I say what is positive in darkness? I suppose he's sort of saying if, if darkness is negative, well, something positive must be the opposite of darkness, which is light. 
He said, then suddenly I was in light. So as soon as he thought about it, he was in it. He said it was shiny, bright, and very, very strong, like the flash of a camera, but not flickering that bright. Uh, constant bright brightness. He said, at first, I thought the brilliance of the light was painful. I couldn't look directly at it. But little by little, I began to relax and began to feel warm, comforted, and everything suddenly seemed to be fine. It, it, it does seem like he, he's in a... It's, it's, it's just so crazy to say, but if he thinks it, it happens. It's, yeah, that, so he's able to create it. If you think could be I hell, want to it? be in, you know, a nice paradise. Well, beach, he does. Well, not necessarily that. It could be an hallucination. It could be that's what hallucination could be. You think it and it occurs. Um, but he said that it's like his his mind could create its environment he said he could see molecules flying around he could see atoms protons neutrons flying everywhere how he knew that's what they were i don't know but that's what he describes he said uh, on one hand it well, was that's what he thinks they were yeah he said on one hand it was totally chaotic um yet what brought me such great joy was that this chaos also had its own symmetry the symmetry was beautiful, unified, and whole, and it flooded me with tremendous joy. I saw the universal form of life and nature laid out before my eyes. It was at this point that any concern I had for my body just slipped away uh, because it was clear to me that I didn't need it anymore. Bodies are our limitations. So remember, he's been hit by a car. He was killed instantly. He's fucked up. He's been medically examined and declared dead. And he's in a mortuary being chilled. He said there was no time. Time didn't exist. Past, present and future was all one. I saw my life from beginning to end all at once. I participated in the real life dramas of my life, almost like a holographic images, image of my life going on before me. It wasn't as though it started with birth and ran along, ran along to my life uh, at the University of Moscow. It's where he just, you know, it's just a place he's picked out. He said it, it all appeared at once. Uh, there I was. This is my life. I didn't experience any sense of guilt or remorse for things I'd done. I didn't feel anything bad about my failures, my faults or achievements. All I felt was my life for what it is, and I was content with that. I accepted my life for what had happened. During this time, the light just radiated a sense of peace and joy to me. It was very positive. I was very happy to be in the light, and I understood what the light meant. I learned that all physical rules for human life were nothing when compared to this true reality. Um, I like the way he describes it as a true reality, not a heaven. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think it's, it's down to the person's personal beliefs in life to how they would describe what it is that this light, this place of light that they're, that they're experiencing. So if you're, if you're, you know, if you have an inclination for religion, then it'll be um, heaven when it, you're just going to naturally think that. Well, no, well that you, you say that, but there are, you'd think that um, there would be similarities between uh, near-death experiences in, in different religions, but there's not. There are no, some, no, but they're not. The thing is, this There's place... There's like a universal one. This place, this alternate reality, is the same. But if you have, like this, George is saying, you have that, um, you, know, that he, you know, he perceived it as an alternate reality, but then he also is perceiving himself still as George, the person he was before he died. Surely your memories go with you, so 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, they re- do. If he's not religious, then he's just perceiving it as an alternate reality or a true reality, he's, as he's described it. Whereas Pam, or Pat, whatever. Pam, it was Pam. Pam. She probably was religious, so she's describing, is this, is, is this God? You know, is this like you, God? You, and you, clearly, you clearly take your memories across. Because I, don't you think, I don't think it would change from religion to religion, this place. This place would stay, or this experience would be the same. It's just how you perceive it through your beliefs. Well, he, he says that he, he uh, actually observed a black hole. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a peculiar one, this one. He, says he, uh, he, he observed the black hole and he said that he saw that it's only another part of infinity, which is light. I find that's quite a weird observation, the way of describing it. His experience seemed more like his consciousness is returning to sort of like, a, I don't know, a universal consciousness or something. The way he's describing seeing atoms and now he's seeing a black hole and light and this is a true reality. It's like he's, is, I mean, is this not reality that we're in now? Is it when you die, you go, I don't know, this sounds fucking crazy. Uh, but he said, I came to see that reality is everywhere. Everything is not only connected together, everything is one. I felt a wholeness in the light, a sense that all was right with me and all was right in the universe. Now, this is where I find this one to get interesting because, I, I mean, I, I just described that because it's just, just, it was weird. It was weird. But this is where it gets interesting. He said, I could be anywhere instant, instantly. And he literally means that really there. He talks about when he could project his consciousness, if that's what it is. He could, he could literally travel anywhere in space and time. He said, I tried to communicate with people I saw. Some people sensed my presence, but no one said anything about it. I was pure consciousness. If I didn't understand what was happening, an explanation would come to me, but no teacher spoke. I explored. He claimed he could literally go anywhere he wanted in space and time. This is important because he perceives things that are verifiable now. Things that he could not possibly have seen because he was in a fridge, in a morgue. Even his funeral was planned. You know, they're not Mm -hmm. fucking about. He's gone. So there he was, flooded with light all good things, blah, 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 blah. An investigation was set up into the cause of his death. Um, They sent somebody out to the mortuary to do an autopsy. They pulled him out and stuck a knife into his abdomen to cut him open and start doing tests. Uh, He said, I felt as if some great power took hold of the back of my neck and pushed me down. It was so powerful that I opened my eyes and I had this huge sense of pain. My body was cold and began to shiver they immediately stopped the autopsy and took me to the hospital where I remained for the following nine months, most of which I was spent under a respirator. So he woke up whilst being cut open in a mortuary, right? So what's interesting is this occurred to him when he was freezing cold, right? Mm. Pam was freezing cold as well. Because remember, they chilled her body down. Mm. Is there some sort of connection there, maybe? maybe? Yeah. Um, right, this is where it gets verifiable. This is where it gets interesting. As we said before, he said he could be anywhere in space and time. He said he visited his family and saw his grieving wife and two sons. They were too small to understand fully what what's going on. They, they understood he'd been killed, but not really understood what that meant. He said he could re- re- read his wife's thoughts and he could see that she was already trying to figure out who to hook up with next. Um, after he recovered, he told her this, along with details of whom she was thinking of at what time, and she confirmed all of what he said and said it was very disturbing. 
because he's basically almost reading her mind. Um, he said he felt no bad feelings because he was literally inside her head and he knew that she was just trying to find someone that could help support her and the two kids. So it seems like a logical progression. And he's like, yeah, all right, if I'm dead, this is what you've got to do. She struggled to be around him because she thought that he could read his mind. This went after he recovered mm. because she thought that what was sacred in her head was no it? longer yeah. sacred. Could be circumstantial. I mean, like you'd like to think your partner would move on and not wallow in loneliness for the rest of their lives. Um, but the next detail is not circumstantial and it's very hard to believe it could be a lucky guess. Uh, it's, just, it's just too precise. He said he visited his next door neighbour. They had had a new child born a couple of days before he, he died, right? He could tell that they were upset by what had happened to him. They were talking about the incident and how awful it was, but they were especially distressed by the fact that their new child would not stop crying. George had never met this baby because he was dead, right? He was in a box. He couldn't have met him. So straight away, he's talking about something he couldn't have possibly have known in the true sense of how we understand things. Um, but no matter what they did, the baby continued to cry. When he slept, it was short and fitful. He would awaken, start crying again. They'd taken him back to the doctors, but the doctors were stumped. They did tests for colic. Uh, that was ruled out. They basically sent him home and hoped that the kid would just settle down. He said, whilst I was in this disembodied state, I discovered something. He said, I discovered I could talk to the baby. He said, it was amazing. I could talk not to the parents, my friends or my family, but I could talk to this newborn boy. I asked him what was, what, what was wrong. No words were exchanged. By, I asked him through, and as he sort of describes it as telepathy, because he's not speaking, but it's kind of like a knowing. Um, the, the newborn kid, the newborn baby, told him that his arm hurts, and that he said, when he told me that, I was able to see into the baby like an x-ray. And I saw that his, the bone in his arm was twisted and broken. The baby had a green, stri uh, green stick fracture, a break in the bone in his arm, probably caused by being twisted and pulled during ch childbirth. Now we've got a problem. George and the baby both know what is wrong with the baby, but nobody has the ability to communicate this to the parents. Baby couldn't talk, and George was dead. <laughs> so he couldn't say anything. So very soon after waking up, because obviously they stuck a knife in his stomach after the attempted autopsy, as quickly as, body, as his body allowed, uh, he began to tell his friends and his family that he was perceiving them in ways that he couldn't explain. Um, obviously, they were very sceptical. Uh, then he shocked everybody, including the doctors. He said, I know the neighbours have had a baby boy. Um, he couldn't have known that because he was in a morgue. He said, I know he's crying all the time. The doctors cannot find anything wrong with him. Uh, I know this because I saw his parents talking. He said, I know what is wrong with him. He has got a broken arm. I know this because I visited, visited him and communicated with him telepathically and literally looked into his body and saw that he has a fracture. He was even able to tell the doctors where the fracture was. The parents took the child to the doctors, x-rayed the kid, and 100% correct. How, how, right? How, how can you know that? How can you, that's almost to me, like you cannot refute that. How can you know that? Well, he, yeah, I mean, the fact he knew that is very strange. I'm not going to doubt that. But I'm like thinking, 
did they not these doctors not think to x-ray this poor kid in the beginning <laughs> i don't know something about well, well, something in that no. that's slightly strange to me it's easily easily done people i mean like it's been on the news this week toddlers kids die in hospitals all the time when they could be saved people make mistakes mm. But the fact that he knew that the kid was born and was able to see that he had a broken arm and get the doctors to look at it, and he was right, whilst he was locked in a box, dead, for three days. Yeah, the fact that he... How could his body possibly function after three days of death? That's what I mean. Like, it does... Well, he, it's because he was chilled, it slows everything down. It's crazy. That's... Uh, I find that incre- incredibly fascinating. That it's fascinating. It's difficult to... It's difficult to comprehend, really. Like, it just seems to me like it's one of those things that you would not believe in that. I know you're saying they're all quantifiable, so which is which is what makes this kind of hard to exactly understand. That's what I said before. It shatters people's view of reality when you say, no, this this actually happened. This is real. That's Mm -hmm. what happened. There's no ifs or buts. 100%. That's what happened. Then a lot of people go, well, it just can't be explained, can it? Well, yes, it can. He was able to perceive things that, in a way that we can't understand. Well, he was he was just he's in a different reality, wasn't he? Well, I don't Where know. I don't know what the fuck it was. Alternate, different. Yeah. Because it, he is like you say, he's perceiving things differently. He's able to do things he would never be able to do in this reality that we know. You can't look into a baby's arm. You can't communicate telepathically with a baby that knows nothing about language or, you know, all it knows is what it's feeling, really. That's just like a child, instinct. isn't it? It's instinct and it's it knows that it's unhappy. It knows it's in pain and it knows that it's... But it's, you know, it's, it's able to communicate on some other level that doesn't involve language because it's newborn. It wouldn't know any language at that point. It's just everything, it's everything about that story is a little bit... Freaky. Weird. Locked in a morgue. Yeah, I just Communi- find telepathically communicating with a newborn <laughs> child and X-raying his body with your eyes. Yeah, I find it just <laughs> really difficult verif- to believe that. Well, that's why someone could, uh, someone's body after being dead for three days could still function. Normally. Well, that's what I was saying at the beginning that he, we need to I understand. The fact he spent a lot of time on a respirator. Well, he wasn't dead. This is the thing he, he did. After that, mm. he needs to. He, the point of death needs to be more accurately measured because. There was. He obviously wasn't dead but in the way you, we think. How do you measure something that's not there? I don't know. That's the thing. It, it it's an. It, it's it, you. It seems to me in pretty much all these cases, it's it's a, you know, outer body near death, not actual death. Yeah, near, near death. No, it is actual death. It's to me these are more outer body experiences after death rather than near death. Near death is, you 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 nearly die. You know, these well, people actually die, though. Well, did they? This is my point. Did they actually die? I mean, yeah, are, their are body, we... Their, are bo- their bodies are no longer functioning. But in you don't the way put someone into a morgue for three days if there's any kind of function in yeah, that body. No, we don't. But it so but he's remo- his consciousness has left his body. Well, that's what it seems like. And <laughs> gone somewhere <laughs> else crazy. for a bit and done some other funky shit. And talked then to a kid. Caught, talked to a baby and, you know... Read, read his wife's mind after 
days after he died. He also said he, he also who says she could, who she could. He says he went get lot, on, He went know, hook up with. He went to lots of places. Dirty bitch. <laughs> Deep. But he went. She went. He went to lots of places. I just didn't bother putting well, them. Were you saying like he could go anywhere? Yeah, he did anywhere in t- space and time. Time was instant. Why there was not no go time. for a little stroll on Neptune? <laughs> you know why well, literally, not? Yeah. You know yeah, that's yeah. the thing. You'd be like. Why am I fucking about here with this baby? Why aren't I on? Because he was trying to help Neptune, it. Neptune, some or you know. Because he had all the he had all LV two two four or whatever it's called. He had, he had <laughs> infinite time. Time meant nothing, so he could be everywhere and anywhere, and it didn't mean anything. I, I you know, I'm not spending two weeks on Neptune. <laughs> it's, it's like no time and all time. It just ceases to be anything. So he could be anywhere yeah. and everywhere, and he was. In when you say That's space what, and time. Why would you hang out on Earth if you could go you could, anywhere in space? Because he did. He went everywhere. <laughs> All right, the last one we're going to cover now um, is a bit of a nasty one. This is geezer called, uh, what's his name? Matthew Botsford. And basically, he was shot in the head with an Uzi, Uzi 9mm, outside a restaurant. The bullet lodged in his frontal lobe of his brain. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it, all right. He said he felt it felt like a hypodermic needle was heated up and stuffed into his brain. It was a searing hot pain, and then everything went black. Oh, fucking doodles. <laughs> Someone so, actually, like, describing yeah. what it's like to get shot in the head. With a machine oh. gun. And he was, and that was it. He was just, and he was dead. He went black. Everything went black. He was clinically right. dead. Three times after uh, his heart had stopped. Once on the sidewalk, they got him going again. Another time in the ambulance, and then once in the mer- in the emergency room. Uh, his vital signs uh, were weak uh, and returned. And doctors put him in an induced coma that lasted for twenty seven days to reduce the brain swelling. So he's out of it now. So that's just a brief so example of what a, happened. This is a coma rather than... No, 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 no. Th- I'm talking about what happened when he died. I'm just... That's an, an example. This is just what happened to him. He get, they got him in an induced coma. That's not death. No, but he, he died three times. I'm just oh, telling... Oh, I see, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he said immediately after... This is immediately after he was shot. He said immediately after I died, I shifted from the temporal realm I lived in to the eternal realm of hell. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saving babies in this one. No. He describes his body, this is where he found himself, he describes his body as being suspended in midair, arms outstretched and shackled with ancient black chains clasped around his wrists and ankles, and he was suspended over a deep glowing red abyss. He saw four-legged creatures roaming about in apparent agony as they attempted to stay away for the flowing lava, Smoke billowed up from the magma and seemed to carry, in his eyes, the souls of the lost. He heard awful screams emanating from the depths of what he described as hell. None of the screams were intelligible. They were just cries of pain, loss and anguish. You'd be shitting yourself now if this oh. happened. Who? I've not, like, what not been a good boy. I've <laughs> <laughs> not been a good boy. He said, uh, it was obvious by the countless screams I heard that I was not alone down there, yet I was uh, isolated in my own tor- torment. The lava flow got closer and globules of magma splashed upon my shins and feet, which burnt the flesh to the bone. I could smell my own flesh searing and burning away. I saw my flesh reform only to be burned off and off again infinite agony for eternity i think that's ironic that health actually heals you so they can fuck you up more well this one's different yeah it is because he's describing 
physicality in this one, isn't he? That he's got yes. flesh to yeah, be yeah, burnt, yeah. Well, whereas that's hell. the others... Well, no, you're free from your body when you're in heaven. The others but when you're in hell, you, you've got to have a body so I can stick needles in it. Mm. He said, demons with dark oval eyes looked at him, uh, judging him and mocking him. I could see some of their faces, the demons and their bodies. They had short, stout, curvy bodies covered with scales and horns of varying numbers and sizes and lengths upon their head. The demons had sharp teeth that peeled the skin off his back, which resulted in tremendous pain. I heard the sounds of my skin being ripped off. I could smell their stench like rotten carcasses or rotten flesh. Over and over again, they repeated this. There was no end to my torment. I understood that this was to be an eternal existence for me. So he's, you know, he's not in a bad way. His family at this point um, were being told, you, you, you might as well start signing organs off if you want to transplant them. You know, he's not going to come back. Doctors had to remove a massive part of his brain because he'd been blasted by an Uzi. He was given a 30% chance of making it through the night. And even if he lived, he may be paralysed or due to brain injury, need to be institutionalised. So he thought he's not going to come out of this in, in a, you know, 100%. In a good way, no. yeah. In my realm of, realm of hell, I saw... And this, is, this is funny, this is. I, f- I find this slightly amusing. In my realm, uh, realm of hell, I saw a massive finger begin to protrude in from the outside. It's led to uh, in the entirety of a man's hand. He says that the hand was cracked and creviced like any man's hand, but yet it was of great age and massive size. It grasped me round my waist, instantaneously causing the shackles to drop off Demons to flee, blackness and fear and hopelessness all disappeared. Then Matthew awoke from his coma. He was paralyzed on the left side of his body. He weighed 95 pounds and had the functioning capabilities of an, in- of an infant. For the next two years, he endured intensive rehab to relearn everything. He's still paralyzed on his left side and wears a, uh, a brace uh, on his legs. Uh, he said he wouldn't trade the gunshot for a day in hell. Um, for anything, I find it very stereotypical that, that of how I think he, that this was that just traumatic event. I think it was just a traumatic event that was occurring, and he was interpreting it like that. Yeah, that one doesn't sound to me very much like a quantifiable one, mm. because the others they're able to account account something that had happened in the you know the sort of normal realm of reality that we know. <laughs> Um, Gee, my cat's going nuts, man. <laughs> He's chasing a fly. <laughs> um, but he, this guy is just sort of talking about hell like you would expect hell to, pe- you know, people to talk very about very stereotypical hell. of hell. Very stereotypical. Oh, and, you know, this giant aged hand came. God hand came and helped me. Sounds you know. like a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, that one that one not so much for me. I think that sounds just like well, a I, load of bollocks. I this mean, guy's obviously having a very traumatic... Oh, no, no, I don't think it was bollocks. Fair, fair play to him. He survived a bullet. I don't think head, it's bollocks. But, you know. I don't think it's bollocks no, at all. I, that's I what did. happened to him, no, no, but it no. wasn't hell. Uh, well, I think that's what he thinks happened. Yeah. It's his experience, but it wasn't. I don't think he went to hell, actual hell because there's nothing no. verifiable about that. I put no, that in is, because because he it was isn't like you say. There's nothing. What he I included it because I wanted it not to be everything to be sort of you know. There's got to be a negative side to it. But but the the verifiable cases like Pam, who was actually completely dead, and what? also George, who who was who, completely dead, who was in a morgue for three days and was speaking to a, well, a newborn to be fair, child. He sound he's more. 
this George... That case is amazing. And I only character. covered small details on that. Yeah, this George character is the one to me who sounds most dead. You know, Pam, she was... She, she was bought to death for a reason, you know, and she had an experience because of that. He died. He was dead. De- dead on impact of whatever happened in that Hit car crash. Car, yeah. And dead for three days out of his body. You know, how, how long would that Pam situation, 10 hours, 12 hours, however long that operation took to, to, to achieve, well, to, to stent that? Aneurysm. Aneurysm. But this George guy... Well, they said that the brain in uh, that c- can only survive without oxygen for a limited period of time. That's what I mean. And that's How why Pam, that? Pam was being um, uh, looked after. They removed the blood from her body and they chilled her to a point where she was effectively almost like hibernation. George just was dead. He got hit by a car and they were like, fuck it, put him in the fridge, he's dead. They just left in there, no medical attention. And yet he was able to perceive a broken arm in a child that he'd never met before. And then also his brain wasn't dead enough after the being in the morgue for three days to still function. So that's why I'm saying, is is it... Where, where's the point of death occurring? Are these people not actually dead? Are they in the twilight zone? Is something hap- Does something happen before you die that allows you to perceive a lot more stuff than you can when you're well, in your li- total living state? I don't who's, know. Who's it's fucking crazy. Who pushed him back in? Maybe he'd have been better off outside of his I body. think the person that pushed him back in was the person that was sticking a knife in his chest about to chop him open to see what his guts looked like when they were doing the autopsy. I think it was the pain of that that he just perceived as someone pulling him down. I fucking love crazy stuff, man. Crazy. That is a crazy... Out of all of those, probably that George case is the most interesting. Because of the child? Just because he, you know, he sort of is describing things, the child, the, you know, being able to sort of, you know, not not experience time as a linear thing anymore and... Free from everything. Free from pain and, you know, free from the burdens of having a body and, and all that stuff. You know, he's and then also having these sort of accounting things that he couldn't have accounted if. Yes, he's perceiving things that he couldn't possibly perceive unless it's all bollocks. But we know it's not bollocks because Because he was he woke up on an arm and he woke up. He woke up on the on the autopsy table with a scalpel in his chest. And when he came round as quick as he could, he said, check that kid. It's got a broken arm. And and he said, how do you know that? Well, looked in his body. I looked in his body when I was floating about. Next door. In is, the it, infant is, is this infant live, is supposed to live next door to his family? It did, yeah, with yeah. a neighbour. It's, it's just mad. It's look just into mad it, shit. there's more to that. There's but so, so much mad shit. That's lot, I love it. I love just fucking crazy stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether, you, whether it's real or not. It's just cool stories anyway. It's cool to, it's cool to think about. It's cool it? to think about. Cool to think about. Let's wind up the episode because I need a wee. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, all that beer you've drank, that <laughs> won't it? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, like we said, we threw this one together pretty quick, so it might yeah, not be up to our normal standard. I didn't really know what we were talking about, yeah. so I'm just, you know, just chiming in every now and then. We didn't want to leave you stranded without an episode for the week. Um, so you. when uh, Rob's back, we'll be doing some more research on in more detail and going into it like we normally do. But But thanks anyway for bearing with us. Robots for Eyes podcast on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Please find us on Twitter because nobody has yet. We're a lonely, lonely account. Um, and uh, I think that will wrap it up. So um, 
until next time, we'll see you later. Arrivederci.